Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Hey, it is great to welcome you today. We're really glad you're here to be part of our celebration this morning and to um, join in what sometimes can be a a time when you get lots of people together and lots of people around. Just an exciting time, a messy time, a great time, uh, which is fantastic. And messy is good. Just uh, come to my place and I'll guarantee you that. Hey, we've just come off Easter. Easter was last weekend. It's no doubt the most significant season in the Christian calendar. It's important where we recognise the the crucifixion of, of, of Christ and all that means is defeating of sin and the resurrection of Jesus means the defeat and victory over death. Those two things in the one couple of days apart is, is a significant time. It's a central part of our Christian faith. But then you've got to ask yourself, well, what, what next? And that's the theory and, and the theme for today is after Easter, what next? I mean, do we just think that's a great theological truth, our great theological truths, and we sit back with a life of sort of ordinariness or orthodoxy, if you like, for the next 365 days and wait for the next celebration of Easter or, some, or is it something else? Is there an add-on to that, if you like, in terms of what has happened? Because much happened after Easter. We want to try and address some of that today to recognise that Jesus did die on a cross for our sins, so, but we still sin, but the penalty's been paid. Jesus did have victory over death and we'll, we'll all die, but it's not forever. There's eternal life. But what next? What about us now? What about us tomorrow, the next day? And, and, and what does that mean? And what has God done? And, you know, in, the, in that 40 days after the resurrection, 40 days, Jesus appeared as a resurrected Christ to a whole bunch of people, well over 500 people he appeared to. Um, in those, in that time after that, then he ascended to heaven. Would have been extraordinary to see that. Jesus ascend to heaven. The disciples met and they chose a 12th disciple to replace Judas. Lots happened in that time. And then the day of Pentecost happened, 10 days after Jesus ascended. The day of Pentecost happened when the Spirit was given to the church. So if you like, we've, we've seen the Father, the Creator, and Jesus, the Redeemer, and now the Spirit is given in a new way for the church to flourish and blossom and for people who've come to faith to grow and develop and be nurtured. And today I want to talk about that and I want to talk in, a, in our normal sermon time of what could take weeks, but it won't, I promise you. But it'll be fairly, um, you know, hopefully captured in, in, in small segments, but each one could be bigger than to do we, we deal with today. Here is Jesus saying this uh, before he died. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So the Father's now in heaven, Jesus at his right hand in heaven, but he's given us the Spirit to be with us and to dwell in us forever now. 
until we go and meet Jesus where he is. That's an extraordinary promise, extraordinary thing. So Jesus said that himself. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, so stick with me. You'll see it on the, scripture, on the, on the, on the screen. On the day of Pentecost, Peter says this, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And, and so now, as if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've come to trust in Jesus Christ for your future, your salvation, if you've come to that, you have resonant within you the permanent presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. We ought never to take that lightly. We ought to never think, think oh, well, maybe, maybe not. You, you have the permanent presence of Jesus in you, in his spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the scriptures say, now resides in you. We could finish the service here and sit and sit for 20 minutes and just ponder on that particular fact and be wowed. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Let me read to you what Paul says to the Roman church. He says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but now according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, Romans who follow Jesus, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So God has now given us life, vibrancy, because of his spirit who lives in us. If you'd like to think it, it's, it's God, and we can't just put him in boxes, but God the creator, Jesus the redeemer, and now it's the spirit who's the indweller the indweller of your life, the indweller of my life, if we've come to follow Jesus. And, and there's much written and spoken about, about the, the work of the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Often we think that the Spirit of God is the wild one of the Trinity, he's the unpredictable one, he's the one that does weird stuff. And so it kind of, churches have taken, you know, sometimes polarised positions on the work of the Spirit in the life of the church. God never wanted that, never wanted the polarisation. He's got a reason for saying what he says. And 
So I want to talk about what is the, now the role of the Spirit? Now Easter is gone, if you like. What's the role of the Spirit in our lives? And as I said, we could speak every week on each one of these, and I'm going to roll out a couple, a few of them to you, but we're going to do them all together just to form a bit of a thumbnail sketch of what the work of the Spirit is in your life and my life. Really important that we do like. And first and foremost, you need to understand it's, it's the, at the beginning of our faith, it's the Spirit who makes us a new creation. The Spirit causes that new creation in us. In, in John's Gospel, John is speaking, and Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to him at night, talks about this new life. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He's saying everyone's born of water. We're all born naturally, physically. But those who come to faith in Jesus, he says, are born by the Spirit. You've been born again. That's what that term means. It's not just some, some sort of flashy title. It's we have been born again by the Spirit of God because he's come to dwell within us. What does that mean? I want to try and make it simple for you, and, and any diagram or any sort of image has got limitations. It just doesn't do the picture well, but I've just put, a, put a, an image together, you'll see it on the screen, which talks about how, how God works in our life. What makes you, when, it, when the Bible says in Christ you're a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, what does that mean? Because every one of us knows that even when we come to faith, we still think old thoughts sometimes, and we still act old ways sometimes. So what's new? And as God's Spirit comes and bears witness with our spirit, we just read that, that we're children of God. So God's Spirit connects with our spirit. So what's new is God's Spirit within you. That makes you a new creation. Paul talks, and we are three-part, we are tripartite people. Paul says to the Thessalonian church, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're created in the image of God. God is three in one, and so are we. Not in the same way God is, but so are we, body, soul, and spirit. And God connects with your spirit initially, and that's where now we're called to live inside out rather than outside in. The influence is on our life, and our spirit is that place where we know, we commune. You know when you come in and you're in a worship time or you take communion, that's, and you feel it's special, God, you feel it in the presence of God, that's a, a, a function of your spirit. And then your mind, your, your soul, which is your mind, emotions, and your will, where you decide things, where you choose things, and then your body, which kind of is that fleshy bit that does things and sort of keeps it all together, if you like. Now, we have a choice now. Do we live by the spirit? In other words, do we live by the bit of us which is made new, or do we live because of the bit on the outside or even the environment around about us? We have that choice. So when the Scriptures say you've got to live by the Spirit, it's saying you live by that part of you which God has renewed. And over time, this process, which 
big word sanctification, but it really means just growing. This big process is living more and more by the Spirit who dwells within us because that is our connection with God. So we've got to live now by the Spirit, live inside out. So what's the role of the Holy Spirit in us? And I want to share a few things, as I said, I'm going to do it fairly quickly, to say what, is, what does God do in us? What is the role of the Spirit who dwells within us? And that this is, just a, is a diagram that may be helpful, but it's, any diagram is humanly, it's going it's to be, you know, insignificant, not insignificant, but not, not cover the whole, the, whole, the whole lot. Firstly, I want to say this, that the Spirit within you will confirm your relationship with God. He will confirm your relationship with God. Um, Paul says in Romans, we read a bit before it, before him, but now if you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave, slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if you are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. God's Spirit bears witness with or testifies with your spirit that you're a child of God. So if someone says to you as a believer, how do you know you're a Christian? It's not because sometime in the past you walked down an aisle or you signed a form or you opened you know, your mouth to say words. You, you don't have to go back there. Now you know because you know. The Spirit of God confirms that in you. I don't have to go back to November 1974, some of you, most of you weren't born, to say to you, well, I'm, 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 I know I'm a believer because on that day I did this. That is true. But you ask me, how do you know you're a Christian? I just say, I know because I know. I just know. The Spirit of God, God bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. That's how I know. So there's a confirmation that happens that God does by his spirit. I mean, I, in a few months' time, my wife and I celebrate 50 years marriage. And I just, I know Chris. I know how she thinks. I know, I know the triggers that she has. I know how to upset her um, and not to upset her as well. I know all of that because I know her. I don't say... You know, you say, how do you know you're married to Chris? Not because I've got a, you know, a signed document. I just know I am. It's the same thing with Jesus. I just know I am. And it's the Spirit that does that confirmation. I don't have to go back to some day on a calendar. The Spirit confirms. His Spirit bears witness with my Spirit. Second thing I want to say is what the Spirit's role in your life is to convince you of truth. To convince you of truth. Again, Jesus says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that Father will take from what is mine and make it known to you. That's why we've got to dispel this idea that the Holy Spirit is the wild one of the Trinity because Jesus said he will only take what's for him, what the Father gives him to tell us. He will only take that and bring it to us. 
And you, you know what it's like. You can read a, a, a passage of the Bible ten times and it means nothing to you, but somehow the eleventh time j- jumps off the page. That's the work of the Spirit, convincing you of the truth of that that you might have just read as some academic statement. But it's the Spirit of God who is the teacher. He is the teacher of truth um, in, in, in your life. That's what he does now. He brings and convinces you the truth. And if anyone ever says to you, oh, the Spirit says to me, and it doesn't back up from with the life of Jesus or the work of the Script, doesn't back, just be cautious. Just raise, raise the red flag because he will bring what's true and bring it to you and convince you of truth. That's how the Spirit works. Number three, he convicts you of sin and cleansing. The Spirit of God in us will convict us when we have stepped over the mark, when we've gone our own way, we've done our own thing. He, his, his role is to convict us from within. It's not my role to convict you. It's the Spirit's role to convict me. That's why Paul says there's no condemnation now for those in Christ Jesus. It's to convict you. John, uh, John 16 talks of Jesus saying, Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go, the counsellor will not come to you. I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt, regard to sin, righteousness and judgment. You see, now we live inside out. We live from the Spirit of God who, if we allow him to, will be free to convict us of things that we need to get right with God. And we all do, we all have those. This is not some, just for some, those from really bad sinners, whatever they look like. It's for all of us. God does his work of conviction in our life. That's the work of the Spirit. It's not just some, some fluffy thing in the atmosphere. It's the Spirit of God who convicts us um, of our need to come back to God. We just do. That's who we are. We just do need that to happen. He'll convict you of that. It's, uh, it's not our role to condemn other people. That's not our job. There's no condemnation. It's not our role to condemn other people or one another, but it's the work of the Spirit within us to condemn us and convict us, rather, of us. Number four is to comfort our hearts. Um, and um, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor or some versions say comforter to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. And he says a little later on, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the counsellor, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give you as the world gives. Um, I don't want to be glib in this or trite, but the work of the Spirit is to bring comfort to troubled hearts. And I'll guarantee you, every one of us in this room at some point in time has had a troubled heart. Maybe you're here today with something of a troubled heart. And it's the work of the Spirit of God to bring comfort to troubled hearts. There'll be another counsellor who will come and comfort you. And I, I want to say to you, and 
in our family, we've, we've suffered grief, and you have too, probably. And, and you, there are times when it doesn't matter what anybody says to you. There are times when it doesn't matter who's with you. What brings you comfort is an inner sense of the presence of God in the midst of a dark time, of a dark time. That's what will bring comfort. It's the Spirit of God, and God has designed His Spirit to dwell within us and bring us comfort when we need comfort. And sometimes we, we spend our time frantically trying to work it out ourselves, trying to do it all ourselves, trying to, you know, get this and that and somebody else. No, it's, sometimes it's only God Himself who can bring you comfort. Clever words will not do it. It's the role of the Spirit of God within us. Um, that's important. Number five, um, it will develop, he will develop the fruit of character in us. Character or our discipleship journey or just God developing us and growing us is really important. He will develop the fruit of character in us Paul says to the Galatian churches, it's not more than one church, it's a group of churches. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. What a list. There's some biggies and some ones that we don't think are so big, but they're still clumped with the biggies, right? So they must be big. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. There are some fruit there. And by the way, it's, it's fruit singular. It's not fruit. It's not there are nine fruits. There's one fruit with nine flavours. It's the fruit of the Spirit is, not the fruit of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit is. So it's not like you can say, well, gee, I'm, I'm really making headway on patience, but I'm hopeless on self-control. And say, well, it's okay because I'm making... No, it's a, it's a, it's a package. We might, be, we might not recognise that we're doing well in one and not doing well in another, but that's part of the same package. We've got to work on that. So there is some God-related fruit, things like love, joy, and peace. There are some man-related fruit, relational-related fruit, like patience and kindness and goodness. And then there's some self-related fruit, like self-control and gentleness and faithfulness. It's the process of, of sanctification, which is a big theological word, meaning we're growing more like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is those things. It's important. Um, it's really crucial for us. We can't say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well in three, I'm not doing well in six, so it's okay. I'm doing well in five and I'm not doing well in four, so I'm over 50%. It's, it's, it's allowing the Spirit of God within to bring fruit in our lives, character. It's about character in our lives. 
Two more to go, and this is an important one, I think. It's, it's, it's one that's misunderstood, that the, the Spirit of God brings gifts for serving. Brings gifts for serving. I, I'd say that spiritual gifts has become one of the unfortunate, controversial areas in church life. And sadly, I don't think God ever meant this, but sadly, it's polarised some areas of the church. And there are some expressions of Christianity who express some, of the, some gifts and some other expressions of Christianity who discard those and, 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 and express others. And that's become one of those areas that's caused great and hard, um, I think, division sometimes in the body of Christ. And it's never meant to be that way. The Spirit does not bring division. The body of Christ divides. It's not over the Spirit. It's over what people do about that. So that's important. But here is Paul writing to the Corinthian church and he says this, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of the healing by the one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. You see, Paul has to write to correct a couple of, a couple of falsehoods. The first one was this. That he writes them and says... You've lived in the past in a very spiritual world. You've lived in pagans. And so when you saw supernatural things happen, when you saw things happen, those things were the result of the devil that you've worshipped and you idolised. You, you, you know, you had idols. And so the things you saw manifesting amongst you were from the evil one. But he wants to say, now, no, it's, it's the spirit now who's working amongst you to bring Gifts. Don't attribute them to the evil one. It's now, and how do you tell? Well, whoever's bringing those gifts can say, Jesus is Lord. It's not like just some trite statement. Anyone can stand up in front of a group of people and say, Jesus is Lord. And, and for you know, if people are talking about spiritual things, can they say, Jesus is Lord? That's the question. So that's the first thing he's attributing. It's These gifts don't come from the enemy, like you've seen other gifts happen, they come from Jesus. But the second thing he's trying to correct too is, is in that spiritual world that wasn't God's spiritual world, every gift or everything brought, every spiritual thing brought was behind it was an individual spirit. It's the spirit of this or the spirit of that or the spirit of that brought this. And now Paul wants to correct it and say, no, they all now, God's gifts come from the one spirit. There's not the spirit of wisdom that's a separate spirit from the spirit of knowledge. That's a separate spirit from the spirit of faith or whatever the other gifts might be. So he's trying to say, this is not like you have to find a separate spirit behind every gift. 
There is one God. There's one, one, one God. Different manifestations. And God gives as he chooses. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, let me just say a couple of things that I hope will, will help us understand these. And I'm not going to go into the gifts in, in detail because we could spend a whole three months working on, on this particular topic. But you need to understand the giver, the gift, and the gifts. That the giver is God, the gift is the Holy Spirit, and the gifts are what, God, what the Holy Spirit gives to individuals in the church for the blessing of the church. Another thing I'd say, just don't react to the misuse of spiritual gifts by the disuse, but react with the right use. Sometimes people have exercised what they say are spiritual gifts in a way that is unhelpful and really you question, is that what it's about, really? And we we see that and we then we, we act by disuse of those gifts because someone's exercised them poorly or badly. Don't react to the misuse by the disuse, by just, just you know, dismissing. But you've got to react by the right use. Every spiritual gift must be exercised in love. If it's not exercised in love, it's not a spiritual gift in operation. And every spiritual gift is meant to build the body of Christ. Meant to build the body of Christ, and that's really important. So we need to grasp that um, as well. And here's the last thing I want to say, and it's the last bit of that scripture. God determines as he chooses, not us. God determines who get what spiritual gift. God, the Spirit of God within you chooses, determines, as he wills. It's not up to you or me to tell someone. We can help people discover, but we don't determine it. God is the only one who determines it. Um, and you read... There are gifts in a number of letters that Paul writes in here in Corinthians, in, in uh, Romans, in Ephesians. He talks about the offices. Um, in Peter's letters, he writes about spiritual gifts. So they're, they're, they're kind of there in different formats and different ways in the different epistles in the New Testament. They are, if you like to want to summarize them, there's some speaking gifts. There's preaching and prophecy and tongues and those sort of speaking gifts. There are... Um, doing gifts, healing, miracles, administration, those sort of gifts. And there are knowing gifts, which are wisdom, knowledge, um, discernment, and, and a whole bunch more. So they're, they're in that sort of realm, but God determines the gifts. So I'm not going to say any more, but we could talk for weeks about in this area. It's really important that we grasp that and understand that, that it's the Spirit of God who gives as God determines in our life. The last thing I want to say is this. What does the Spirit of God do in us? And this is going to sound like a weird thing. But he will bring a healthy unpredictability to your life. And I, I say that wisely. He'll never do anything that's contrary to the will of God or the Scriptures or any of that. But he will bring a healthy unpredictability. When, when Jesus talking to um, Nicodemus, he said, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You can't always tell what the next step is. You can't always tell the way God's going to lead you and guide you 
every step of the way to have your five-year plan opened up or whatever. God will bring a healthy unpredictability to our life. Healthy. And boy, do we need to know that right now, right? This is a really unpredictable time. And God's, God can work in you and will work in you in the process of that. And we often feel we need to know where we're going. We need to have a plan right for the next day and the next week and the next month. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't. You need to trust the Spirit of God who dwells um, within you. He is important sometimes. And if we're not careful, we can, we can avoid the adventure of God for the routine of God. And that's what you don't want to do. You can avoid the adventure of our faith journey and just replace it with a routine faith journey. And God is a God of adventure. He's given you his spirit. He'll gift you as he chooses. He'll lead you as he chooses. That's his role in our life. He is God dwelling within us. I could talk for another day and a half on some of this stuff because it really is important that we understand how God works in us now, that we don't just see the celebration of Easter, for example, as a, as a historical event, and that's good. We'll celebrate it again next year. But, the God, but God is working by his Spirit in our lives now. He is God dwelling within us now. He brings comfort and truth and fruit and gifts now in our life, and we mustn't be afraid of that we mustn't let it divide. We must trust God's Spirit to work in and through us. It's, it's important that we understand it for a vibrant personal faith, not for an academic or a cerebral personal faith, but a vibrant, alive personal faith. That's really important. I'd love to open this up for questions, but I won't because it's too, too late. But it'd be great. You have lots of, who's got lots of questions? Yeah, cool. Good. Ask me afterwards just before I race to my car. It's a really important part of our Christian well-being to understand the work of the Spirit because he is God with us now. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us when he came to earth. He's now with the Father. We'll meet him one day. It's going to be exciting. But the Spirit is God with us now, dwelling within us. Important, powerful. Don't discount that. Shut up, Tim, and pray. Okay. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We want to thank you that you love us and you care for us. And today, Lord, we've just gleaned the surface of some of that. But Father, we thank you that it's your spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we're your children. God, what a joy. What a delight. Father, I pray that you'll help us on this journey, that we'll be seeking your truth. Your spirit brings truth. So, Lord, we will, we will seek that. Father, work in each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.